another episode of Setting the Tone, an ER retrospective. The show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 9, Episode 15, which is titled A Boy Falling Out of the Sky. The episode aired on February 13th, 2003. Lauren, what was going on the week 20 years ago? Actor Paul Rudd ties the knot with publicist Julie Yeager. The couple remain together as of this recording and have two children together. Good Ms. for Ye- Paul Rudd. Ms. Yeager was a, I found out just through a little slew thing, I was still like, who the hell is she? Uh, she wor- they met on they met while Paul was working on Clueless, and they and she's a she worked for the publicity firm that handled all of Mr. Rudd's stuff, and he has an age day. No, he has not. And and he's running away with the title of uh, only redeemable cast member from fucking Clueless. Like that movie, that movie continues. The, the people in that movie are dropping like flies for oh, no. uh, aging like absolute fucking milk. Um. And I don't mean physically, I mean morally. Like, they're all terrible. What happened with Alicia Silverstone? She opened her mouth about some shit recently. I, can, I can't for the life of me remember what flavor of uh, too chronically online asshole it was, but it was, I can't remember if it was a, a vaccine thing, or if it was a political thing, or if it was a, a transgender thing, but like, she just, she opened her mouth about something recently, and I was like, oh, honey, you, you've done it now. Just don't. Just just kill all of your heroes. They're all the worst. She, that being... she endorsed Robert F. Kennedy. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yep. I knew it was something recently where I was and like, And registered uh, as an independent. There it is. The gloves With all off. that... <laughs> I will try to transition us one more time. Uh, with all that being said, romance is in the air as rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, starring Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey, debuts and beats out fellow newcomer Shanghai Knights for the box office crown. There's there's some nice dichotomy for you in the box office. Yeah, this tracks. Shanghai Knights is the bad one, right? I don't remember. Oh. It has remember, 65% I, on Rotten Tomatoes, but I've never seen it. I think so. it's the sequel. I think Shanghai Noon was the first one, and Shanghai Noon, as I recall, was it's not a movie I've watched once since I saw it originally, but as I recall, it is a you know delightful little fun, you know, turn your brain off and watch kind of movie and like it's uh it's one of those things that like just quit while you're ahead like you you made a nice movie like just stop there doesn't have to be more of this and then they made another one and it was terrible and i think this is the second one someone will correct us if we're wrong and all i have by jennifer lopez featuring ll cool j is your new number one song daniel after you're done letting d's out of the closet what else was on Got to get him out of the room before he says something racist. Uh, this week's uh, what else was on? Uh, sorry, I'm <laughs> losing my spot here. <laughs> what else was on at eight p.m.? Friends with the episode, the one with the mugging uh, at eight thirty. Friends with a rerun, and at nine, uh, the extended, I guess, episode because there was nothing in the nine thirty slot. The uh, extended Will and Grace episode, Women and Children First. And this week's episode had 20.5 million viewers tuning in, directed by Charles Hayde, doing his sixth out of seven as a director. Uh, previous one of his from this season was Insurrection, and written by the team of R. Scott Gemmel, doing his 16th out of 32. Uh, previous ones of his uh, from this season include Tell Me Where It Hurts and Chaos Theory, and Yalin Chang doing her second out of four, and her previous one from this season was Insurrection. Uh, we got an alternate title for this episode, uh, quite possibly the worst alternate title I have ever heard, and I cannot 
stress enough how much they made the correct decision by changing from this one. Uh, alternate title for this episode was Shifts Happen. Don't they also use that as a title later on in the series? Do they? I don't remember. I, I'm going to look it up. It's a terrible title. <laughs> Whatever, Whoever it is uh, that wanted to title it, that should be fired immediately. Uh, and uh, no Romano and no Corday this week. They do uh, use it. Season 10, episode 4. Terrible. Just terrible. Whoever... Is let's let's take a quick quick gander at who actually wrote that episode to see if it, maybe it was a recycled uh, uh, a recycled title that he was like oh I didn't get to do this one no it's it's a completely different team that does that episode so maybe it's a good they episode just, though maybe they just put a pin in it and uh, circled back to it but I still think it's a terrible title uh, as I said no Romano no Corday this week our previously on is brought to us by Susan and we start the episode with Carter uh, getting into Abby's place seeing a half empty bottle of liquor and a tipped over shot glass with her alarm blaring so we're picking up pretty much right where we left off with last week's episode mm-hmm. and uh, Carrie is buzzing at Luca's door, apartment door and he looks very I don't think he looked that rough Lauren I wouldn't say okay. very rough he looks kind of scruffy by his standards fair enough uh, she tells him to get in by noon or don't bother coming back to the yard. It's like, oh, yeah, you, that place you used to practice medicine at. And Carrie gets her purse stolen for her efforts. And then the dude immediately gets hit by a car, running off with her purse anyway. And, of course, Carrie isn't yelling, like, bring back my purse, you creep, or whatever. She's like, you could be seriously injured, you asshole. But they cut it off right. just right so you it's... don't actually have all of asshole before the bangs come in. It's one of the better, uh, like, smashed cut into a into the intro that i think we've ever ever gotten we just need this as an we just need this pieced out as an audio clip that we can just say whenever someone comes in <laughs> with a with a with an injury and they're being stupid about it you could be seriously injured you asshole mm. yep and as we mentioned we are in with some bangs i don't think we've had any twinkles this season no just the the two head fake uh ones where they, they make it seem like they're gonna do twinkles and then they pull the rug out from under you yeah, and then we see Carter is in the kitchen kind of tidying up when Abby comes out from the bedroom. He puts the bottle away and pours some coffee, offers him some offers her some coffee and aspirin. And she's like, "Nope, did anybody call?" "Nope." "Okay, I got to get ready for my shift." And he's like, "What the fuck? You have work today?" And she's like, "Yeah, I want to keep busy. Like, I picked up a shift." And um again, just when he's here for her, they're absolutely amazing as friends. It's so, like, when he's actually just being supportive, he's great. But the minute they throw the couple shit in, it ruins it. But, like, right here, just this exchange, him trying to be supportive. It's really nice. No qualms. And then we go over to uh, Carrie in the ER complaining to Susan about the robbery. Yeah, yeah th- And this- Susan is none too thrilled. Whoops, sorry, fine. Uh, I was just going to say, on the, uh, the Carter being supportive thing... Uh- other than the romance stuff, which we'll get to later on, like this is honestly the most palatable and you know yep. digestible that Carter and Abby have been this entire time. Like this, this episode is actually not bad. Like I, I don't have like both in terms of the overall quality of the episode and just the like the the amount of Carter and Abby I'm willing to absorb. Yeah, uh, it, it was honestly kind of surprising how much I didn't hate them this episode. But uh, Susan is none too thrilled with Chen, as uh, Chen was not available for a bailout call. Be like, oh, because 
apparently there was just a really bad I, I don't know if it was a blind date or if it was just a really bad date i think it was the but, the date from last episode that she was supposed to go on and she blew the guy off yeah. to hang out with the patient and then she says she called him back later that night and was like fine i'll go out with you yeah, yeah. He, he kept calling her and it yeah was that bad. whatever it was yeah yeah uh chen spent the night at pratt's place Ooh la la uh susan says she almost faked a seizure because the date was so bad people there's a lot of things you can do to get out of bad dates don't fake a seizure it, it is i do like how she says i almost faked it because it was so bad and chen's like a seizure or an orgasm and susan's like a seizure i don't like that she said it but i appreciated that she clarified see but... the, the nice thing about being like in the digital age and like being so reliant on our cell phones is that if you're just having a bad time just excuse yourself just like be like i'm sorry this is not working for me and just get up and leave and just block the number just <laughs> You don't have to do the thing. You can just peace out. You're an adult. Hopefully. On that note, uh, we <laughs> go to our, uh, one of our first patients of the episode. One that I didn't really make detailed note of here because I thought it no. was just a transitional thing. But I will. I promise. Please stop typing your reply comment, especially uh, especially slightly older listeners. Please, please stop typing your reply comment. I will get to it later. I promise. Uh, Gallant is working with a patient uh, with Alzheimer's who was wandering outside for an hour and Susan advises how to warm her up. And as I said, this is just like a brief transition thing uh, to get us back to Sean, the uh, clogged pick line kid from last episode. Uh, and he's in for some respiratory distress. Um, and again, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure we're picking up like the day after the previous episode. So he has not been gone very long. Um and she has him put a mask on because he's already likely got an infection. She doesn't want him to get any worse, you know, because he's immunocompromised. We'll touch on much more of uh, what's going on with Sean later in the episode. Uh, we see Pratt on his EMT run. Uh, they, there's a homeless guy that was found dead in a car. Uh, they, I think they're at like an impound lot or a car something. rental type lot, something like that. Um, and... Uh, Pratt's kind of cranky that he just has to watch the EMTs work. They won't really let him do much. It's basically like, yep, you're just here to, to help us or to observe. You're not here to actually like practice medicine here. Uh, Carter is uh, asleep on Abby's couch, uh, and there's some rapid knocking at the door, and uh, turns out it's Maggie looking for Abby, because uh, that's just what this season needed to pull it out of its uh, mid-season fucking doldrums is a little shot of Sally Field. And I somehow forgot to get this in the notes because, cool, go me, I'm a professional. But um, this is where they're like, oh, well, okay, actually, if you pronounce him, we can all just be done here. We can call the coroner and be done. We don't have to take him in. So they're like, and he goes, oh, I thought you said I couldn't do anything. They're like, no, you can do this. So they think he's dead, no pulse. They say he has lividity, pooling of blood. Mm -hmm. And we'll see how that goes. So sorry, I forgot to throw that in. There we go. Uh Kid is having a bad time with some crystal meth, and his friends are just laughing at him. And the uh, this the who's treating him? I think so Susan. Some yeah, the, one, the whoever's treating him, Susan maybe, uh, says, "I don't know. Drugs will kill you, not your parents." Because they were like, "Oh yeah, no, we gotta call your parents because you're you're under eighteen. So. Mm. And uh, it's it's the kid, and then he's two of his buddies are there, and all of these people are like pretty pretty inconsequential to the overall events of the episode but especially the two friends but i did notice that one of the two friends is kind of a recognizable person and oh hey it's that guy um i wasn't sure where i recognized him from but once i looked him up on uh, imdb i knew right away 
uh, I, I, he, he doesn't get a character name, so I just put him down as Shaggy-Haired Kid because he's the, the kid with the longer hair of the two. Played by actor Sam Saletta, who uh, is better known as a voice actor. He did voices on King of the Hill and Rocket Power, but I recognize him as a kid in The Little Rascals, where he is one of the little, like, greaser kids who's, like, the bullies. Mm. Uh, he's one of the little shit kids in that movie, so... So can we just default put him on the shitty kids list then? I, that's up to Lauren. That's uh, <laughs> it's that list is sacred. I I have no power here. That's very no. true. Uh, well, a woman comes in screaming with her child that he just he ran, he got uh, a woman comes in screaming with her child. Uh, he got run over. Kid's name is Jared, and the mom ran him over. Didn't didn't see him. I thought this was gonna be a very this was going to like take a turn to like drugs or alcohol or something like that, but it didn't. So and I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Some actual summer strength by our Scott Kimmel. For once. Right. <laughs> See, he can do it. Uh, mom here is played by actress Dendry Taylor, who appears in stuff like uh, the Hulu series from last year, uh, Pam and Tommy, uh, Sons of Anarchy and the fighter. Uh, she has 105 credits to her name. And like, I could see why too, you could, uh, could think it was going to take a turn towards the the alcohol thing because she does very much have the like strung out alky mom look to her like she just has that kind of look to her which and and, then judging by these uh credits that she's been in too like i'm i almost perfectly picture who she might have been in the fighter uh which is uh part of um Christian Bale and uh, and Mark Wahlberg's family in that movie who are all just, like, that type. Like, they're all just, like, the worst. Just, ugh. she She's, like, I, just I, scrungy. I, I, yeah, just scrungy, like, and they're, they're all fighting all the time and, like, drinking and smoking. It's just, like, she just, it's almost like method acting. She's perfectly cast for that part. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm visualizing her and, yes, um... But then we go over to Susan and Sean having a chat, and Susan is explaining the difference between pets, which are cute and cuddly, and vermin, such as, like, spiders and snakes, as she and Sean have a nice little chat-chat. And, uh, she walks out, and Chen says that she thinks the boy has a crush on Susan, and Susan's like, no, just whatever. And this is the grossest line ever, because this kid's, what, like, 17? Maybe. If that, yeah. If that. And Chen goes, you know younger men have a lot of energy, which is fucking gross. Like, no. Not even be- no, just because the age thing. Let me clarify that. If he was like 24 and she said it, fine, great, whatever. But the fact that this is a fucking teenager, yeah. no. And I know commenters have, or I know listeners have commented on this already, but I'm going to stress it. Like, no. Gross. Yeah. Um, it's, an, it's an unfortunate, like, avenue that they choose to like maybe because they were afraid of like repeating the genie and uh scott storyline a little bit too much and like it was just they wanted to like spice things up for lack of a better word like change things up a little bit but i just was like couldn't we have just had a nice little storyline here couldn't we have just had a nice little you know like dying boy you know like I don't know. I just, I, I, this has got R. There's, Scott Gemmel written all over it. I was going to say, we got to make it weird because of look at the writer. Yep. Uh, but then Carter shows up looking for Abby and we go into the trauma with Jared. And I guess whose films are those? Like there's never going to be a good spot for these ever again, I guess. But uh, as they're working on Jared, Abby sees Maggie through the trauma door and um, is adamant that she can't talk to her. Like she's just like, nope, I'm not doing this. 
just no. And then she kind of walks through the trauma room into the suture room where it's dark and she can be alone and just kind of curls up for a minute. So Abby's having a normal one. Totally. Uh, Susan goes to talk to Sean about his labs. Uh, his immune system is starting to, is looks like it's starting to come back a little bit, but he does have pneumonia because the lesions uh, that he has on his lungs haven't decreased in size. So, which is which, heartbreaking news. Yeah, yeah, which to him, he's like, wait, the chemo didn't work? Yeah. So uh. he is... I love Patrick Fugit so much. So much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to re- go rewatch Almost Famous or Saved. Oof. And then uh, we see Abby coming back out of the suture room. Uh, they're trying to see if uh, Jared will breathe on his own. Uh, he is... Uh, it's not going well. He's back on the vent. Uh, no, no response uh, with his pupils either. So, it's uh, not looking good for little Jared. Uh, we see Maggie talking about Eric and how they need to do something. Uh, of course, calling back to the events of last episode, yesterday, if you're keeping score at home, uh, where his plane was missing and all that good stuff. So we're still checking in on that. Uh, Luca still hasn't come in, so not looking good there either. Uh, and Gallant mentions that a guy potentially matching Carrie's mugger's description has come in. Uh, and when Carrie confronts uh, this patient, she's like, you know, where's my purse creep? And uh, he goes to run immediately and goes to leave. And we get maybe our first bit of uh, like authentic interaction with the new uh, layout. Yeah. Where mm-hmm. uh, she slams one of the uh, new emergency doors on him uh, by punching the button uh, with her cane. Uh, and it's a very satisfying little like thud as he hits the door. Just a perfect, think, li- perfect little bit of physical comedy. Yeah. Yep, and I think this is the end of that storyline. I don't think they do anything yeah. else with this kid. Yeah, not really. Uh, Carter and Abby are talking about Maggie, and and Abby's like, she's blonde, and Car's like, so are you. I love that exchange where she's like, she starts out very like, is she manic? And he's like, I don't know. And he's like, she's blonde. <laughs> he's like, yeah, well, so are you. <laughs> like again, it's it is easily the the most uh palatable these two have been as a pair the whole time and again i i stress that like you could still accomplish all of the the goodness that you do in this episode you could still accomplish all of that with none of the romance stuff like just it's okay they can just be friends we don't have to force this like you did it for with mark and susan for years like you could you could also do it here um but it's it's worth mentioning like i know we get a lot or i'm sure i probably get a lot of shit from people for like being so viscer viscerally turned off by these two uh but like you can i can acknowledge when when it works and in this episode it works totally agree i like i said earlier i love them in this episode this is like this is as well behaved as carter has ever been um until we get to the end, but we'll get there. I was gonna say, um, don't worry, he'll ruin for now, it. For now, yep. Uh, but then Sean's mom has shown up, and Susan is giving the two of them the rundown. But I want to know, like, overall, why is she necessarily having this full discussion about prognosis with them and not leaving it to his oncologist? Like, you would think she would pass this information along and say, hey, it's not great, but I've sent the labs over to your doctor. Right. So you guys can talk about this more. So that's a little weird to me that she's done this. I know they've done it before with other cancer patients where it's like, is this really, is this really their job? And again, people who work in the medical field tell me if I'm out of line on that, but um, 
mom wants to take him home ASAP, of course. And he, he says, no, I can beat the pneumonia. It'll be fine. Like, this will be fine. And uh, mom doesn't want him to spend his time in the hospital on machines when he could be comfortable at home. It is a it is a little bit of a subversion of expectations of uh, kind of at least what I might have expected going into the storyline, especially with the kind of um, the kind of uh, characterization and just like the, the demeanor that the actor brings to the role. Like, I think based on his sort of outward demeanor, you would expect that he would be the one that would just want to, like, quietly slip away. And it would be the mother that would be like you know voraciously being like no we have to do everything and we have to try the experimental treatment and we have to do this that and the other and then the kid has to be the you know parentified child to be like no you know like let me go so it's interesting that they kind of turn that on its head here and do the opposite um but uh the mother here sean's mother is played by actress elizabeth moorhead who appears in stuff like uh, Terminator 3, uh, Sand Trap, and Seinfeld, and she's making her first of two appearances as Sean's mom. Now I have to go watch all, like, 600 episodes of Seinfeld to see who she is. Track her down. Um, but then Pratt rolls in with a pregnant woman, and as he's rolling, as the gurney's rolling in, um, Chen comes in to help, like, to help get the EMTs settled, and he's like, oh, I want to crash at your place tonight because uh, the roach thing finally got figured out and my apartment's being treated, something like that. And she's like, no, I, I can't. I have I have a thing. I can't I can't tonight. I'm busy. And he's like, the fuck? You're going to make me get a hotel? And she's like, yeah, sorry. And it's because of a comment earlier. She's worried that he's falling in love and this is becoming too serious for her. Mm. So she's just having fun, having sex. She's worried he wants to like have a full on relationship and stuff. So we'll we'll get into it. But right now Chen's a little spooked. Um, and Pratt goes to walk away because he's going to do other stuff. And the pregnant pregnant woman wants Pratt to stay because she loves him because he thinks pregnant women are sexy. And when she says this, Chen looks over to Pratt and he just kind of shrugs and he's like, "Can't help it." was trying to make her feel better <laughs> just very sweet lizzie laughed out loud during that moment and it killed me mm. uh well not to bring the mood down but our uh our patient here uh she is played by actress natalie decel reed who is best known for appearing in stuff like how to be a player uh medea's big happy family uh cinderella the uh brandy whitney houston one uh, uh among many other things um, and uh, she uh, unfortunately did pass away just a few years ago in 2020 uh, due to colon cancer. So go back to Susan. She's working on the Alzheimer's patient. Uh, the woman can only speak French, which was her first language, and I found this incredibly heartbreaking. Um, mm-hmm. Just, I never, I've never, I never really thought about, like, I, have, I haven't seen this episode in quite a while, but I never really thought about like oh yeah if you're forgetting stuff and you're aggressing to back to more of like a childlike memory then yeah if you learned a second language you're gonna totally forget and the husband never learned it because she spoke english when ever since they met mm-hmm. yeah it's a kind of a missed opportunity i think to not because they really don't do much more with this uh couple here beyond this um you know it's kind of a heartbreaking little aside uh but like they they do sort of leave it here and i wish they could have done more with it and i wish too that they would have leaned harder into or i wish they would have gone all the way with um 
having Susan be like fluent in French. Like I, I think that would have been a cool little like character wrinkle for her of just like, oh, by the way, I'm also you know fluent in French for instead some of, reason. Instead of her just saying like, where is the melon? Yeah, instead of just like kind of a, a half-hearted comedic thing, which doesn't just, really land. It's like me saying je suis le grand fromage and the big cheese. Yes, it's exactly like that. Uh, <laughs> um, but just like a comedic, like a stupid little right. Thing. But yeah, I just I think there there's a missed opportunity there to have done something a little bit more impactful and and deeper, um, especially given the the caliber of actors we're working with here. As I promised earlier, when they were just a transitional uh, kind of thing, that uh, I was going to circle back to this. Um, our couple here, Mr. and Mrs. Langston. Uh, Mrs. Langston is played by actress Anne Jackson, who is uh, appeared in stuff like The Shining. Uh, you know, you've heard of that, right? the shining uh zigzag uh and so young so bad and she has credits dating all the way back to 1949 uh very prolific actress um and uh, as you might imagine from her age in this episode she did pass away in 2016 her husband here mr langston he is played by kind of one of the seminal character actors like one of the original og oh hey it's that guy's uh, Eli Wallach, who uh, appeared in stuff like The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, The Magnificent Seven, and Baby Doll, 172 credits to his name, which I believe makes him the high watermark actor for this episode. Um, and he passed away in uh, 2014. Uh, and they were a real life couple. Uh, so these two here uh, actually married both on screen and in real life. Uh, and like I said, I just I wish they would have done more with this storyline. This episode, it's one of I think. It's not that it's uh, I don't I don't count it against this episode because I think this episode is still pretty solid on its own, um, but I think it could have been a lot better if we'd have explored a little bit deeper with these two. I think it's just because Susan is busy with Sean that we don't really get to do as much with this as we could. Another fun credit that um, Eli had that only I will care about was he was one of the uh, like readers for some of the Ken Burns documentaries. So yes, I did. Know, I did know that. Yes, I did know that. Yeah, he, yes. he just yeah, excellent, excellent actor, excellent voice, excellent. Like he's he's definitely got that. Oh hey, it's quintessential. Oh hey, it's that guy looked like. If you're looking for like a an original example of what that concept is, he's a pretty good place to start. Yeah, and then uh, we see they're still working on getting Jared stable. And I wanted to note here, if you're watching closely, the the child actor, God, how dare he, totally moves his hands on his own in a couple spots. Fire. Like if you're watching, if if you're watching Carter on the right side, um, all of a sudden you see the kid's like hand kind of shift and his fingers close a little bit. We rewound it twice just to make sure I wasn't crazy. So I finally caught a goof. Purposeful movements, we'll call them. I don't know. They're. This whole thing is this whole thing is sad. This whole case. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's go to our first uh, audio clip of four that we have for you today. Uh, Maggie tells Abby about some travel plans that she has. Abby, I'm flying to Cleveland. I bought you a ticket if you want to come. I talked to some police sergeant. I used John's name, and he said that all search and rescue operations for Lake Superior are stationed out of. Uh, out of the um, Cleveland District Command. Abby? I am not flying to Cleveland, Maggie. Have you spoken with anyone else? 
The FAA Chicago field rep told me he would call me. The FAA is not going to tell you anything until after the NTSB is gone. I don't need them to tell me anything. What, you don't care? Eric is dead. He is missing. He was trying to kill himself. No, no, he was not. He did not. He was in therapy. He was on his meds. Really, you sure about that? Yes, I'm sure about that. Are you that. sure? Did you watch him every day? Hmm? Did you make sure he, he was not suicidal? Oh, after I saw him. Two weeks ago, he came to see me, and I didn't get it then. But now I understand what it was. He was at peace because he had a plan. No. No, he was yes. doing well. He, he was on a schedule. He showed me a picture of the damn plane. Planes crash, Abby, and people walk away. He came to say goodbye. People walk away, Abby! It was goodbye! Hey, I remember, last, hey, I remember last week when I was talking about how he was just like, oh, he's just calm and suicidal. This is where you got that idea. It was planted in your head. Yeah. I mean, also, I just know what that looks like. So. Also, I totally noticed that this time that Abby says, I used John's name to try and get more information. So, like, she's trying to leverage Carter's family, I guess. Which is weird. Yeah, or maybe doing, taking a page out of Abby's book and being like, oh, he's a doctor. Maybe, like... Maybe they'd be more likely to talk to a doctor than just some random family member. But... Like, oh, he was a patient of... Dr. Carter's or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, boy, uh, all it takes to pull any underperforming season out of the dregs is just literally put Maura Tierney and Sally Field on screen together and let them yell at each other. Then like, bam, you got some magic. It's like it's like that Godfather thing. Like, just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. Like, I have, it's been <laughs> six weeks of just, like, dreadful fucking, like, I don't give a shit about any of this. And then it's like, oh, well, now I'm interested. Like, even storylines, I wasn't, like, even Eric with the plane. I was like, okay, fine, whatever. He took a plane. Big deal. But now it's like, oh, well, now Sally Field's involved. Now I'm interested. That's me with this next scene. This, well, yeah, this next, boy, this next scene is, is the definition of bittersweet. I did use it as the, the pull clip for this episode just because it's so delightful. Um, but we, we follow Gallant as he's going down to the morgue. Uh, where apparently Dr. Upton is working on a culture for one of his patients. This is one of those examples where, like, they're conflating radiology with laboratory, like, which laboratory... Or, like, or, you know, morgue and p- with pathology. Yeah, like, there, there's just, like... And that's one of the areas that's especially coming from a, a, a lineage of uh, laboratory technicians. I can I can say with uh, great authority that uh, that's one of the most underdeveloped parts of the hospital in the county general universe is like we other than a few token scenes very early on in season one. We really don't do very much with the laboratory. Uh, they, no. they kind of like. They, they rarely, if ever, go there, and if they do if they do talk about it, it's always in the case of, like, oh, the lab is being slow or, like, the lab is not helpful. Um, it's like, I, I wish they would have done more with that as a department. Uh, but as Gallant is talking with Dr. Upton about uh, why he hasn't gotten the result he's looking for yet, uh, one of the bodies in the uh, bag starts to move. <laughs> And it's a great little bit of uh, comedic work from Sharif Atkins and a great little bit of uh, uh, deadpan straight man comedic work from Megan Cole, too, who portrays Dr. Upton. Uh, She does a great job of just being like, yeah, well, open it up. Like, you know, she's not clearly not phased by any of this. Um, uh, But the, the bittersweet aspect of this is, is that this is the very last appearance of one Dr. Upton. We will not be seeing her. 
anytime no. after this. First radiologist Steve and now Dr. Upton. Yeah. Why did I want season nine? Season nine is a bit of a bloodbath for beloved background characters. We've lost uh, Adele, uh, the, the social worker this yeah. season. We've lost radiologist Steve. We are losing Dr. Upton. Like, when will the horrors cease? But he's still in the credits. I, he That's will true. always be with our memory. I don't think, I I don't think he knows that. But I think <laughs> it's comforting that we do. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, as I've said all along, I think Dr. Upton is one of the most fascinating side characters uh, in the show. Is one that we, she only has, I think, seven appearances total. So she's not somebody, Don't care. Not somebody that we see very often, um, but it's always a pleasure when we do. She has such a fascinating, um, you know, presence. Presence and just her, her vocal uh, pattern, like the way she speaks. Um, I just think that, like, I, I think I said this way back when she was first introduced. Like, if there was ever a pick for me to do an ER spinoff where it's like, okay, we're going to take one little tiny kernel of the hospital and spin it off into its own little series, I think she would have been one of the, the more interesting yes. choices for that. Um, I just really, really love her, and I'm sorry that we're not going to be seeing her anymore. It's a huge bummer. But shout out to Dr. Upton. Uh, we go from there to uh, Chen coming into the lounge uh, for a super awkward little moment here with Pratt. Uh, and Pratt comes in. Uh, they're discussing the fact that the baby uh, the, from the pregnant woman, uh, she delivered. And I believe the boy was somewhere in the, somewhere in the range of like nine and a half pounds. Hefty. Hefty. Hefty baby. Boy. And Pratt... I genuinely don't think he means anything by this. I think he's no. just making conversation and just like, this is just a thing people say. But he says, ooh, that's a keeper. And you can tell that uh, that particular line just really like hits Chen in the, the worst possible way. Uh, yeah. And so she. Because they just had that conversation last episode. Right. They just had that conversation, again, last night. <laughs> like, as we're, as we're following along in the timeline here, is last night they just had this conversation. And so she, uh, he strikes a bit of a nerve there, and she goes off on him about the whole baby thing, and uh, it sucks. Trouble in paradise, indeed. Uh, Susan tells Pratt there's someone she wants him to meet, and oh look, it's the guy <laughs> that they found in the car earlier. Their dead turns body. Out, turns out his blood alcohol was point three two two. For reference, people. The legal limit is 0.08 I believe, in most states. I believe she says his blood was practically antifreeze. Yep. Yeah. So a, a, a lot higher than your average, than, than even being very drunk, which means being drunk, too drunk to drive. Several measures beyond that. I, and sorry, apparently I the, the quote unquote lividity that they saw was a uh, dirt. I love Susan's delivery here when he's when Pratt's like, but he had lividity, and she goes, "Have you heard of dirt?" <laughs> yeah, like, and she's like, she's like, even even a med student knows you're not dead until you're warm and dead. Yes, that also very true. Um, so yeah, Susan Susan's got some good shit this episode. I I'm digging it. Aside from you know the Sean stuff, which speaking of Sean's mom calls Susan over to talk, and um. Susan tells her that it's Sean's decision on what he wants to do. And mom's like, oh, but you're giving him false hope because he likes you as a doctor and a woman. He'll listen to you if you tell him to stop. Which also, if I was a mom and I knew that about like my son feeling that way about a doctor, I don't know if I'd tell her that. That just seems a little fucking weird. A lot of it seems weird. Yep. Um, 
But then, as if tragedy was not enough, um, Jared's dad shows up, and Mom is absolutely a wreck, as she should be, as Carter tells um, Dad the prognosis, and uh, they're going to say their goodbyes. And Dad here is played by actor Douglas Bennett, who uh, is uh, appeared in stuff like The Lincoln Lawyer, the TV series. I didn't realize they did a TV series of The Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, Sons of Anarchy, second Sons of Anarchy uh, alum this episode, uh, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I feel like that might have been where I recognized him. I kind of thought I did, but it's been a while since we've watched S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, that's a that's a TV series about Marvel stuff for you, Daniel, Thank in you. case you weren't aware. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> uh, but then Maggie tells Abby that she just doesn't know how she works in the ER after she witnessed all the stuff with Jared's parents. And then she just matter-of-factly says, I'm not ready to bury him. And then... She's like, she's still going to go look for him. And so she says, the most egregious uh, Chicago geography fuckery we've had in so long. Lizzie, are you ready for this? <laughs> Maggie says, will the L take me to Midway? And Abby goes, yeah, the eastbound track. Abby, no. 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 <laughs> A, you, there's so many, there's so many, there's so many things wrong with this. It's, it's going to bug me. So, first off, bad writers, bad as if I couldn't hate R. Scott Gimmel more. Then he goes and pulls this shit. You're, they're supposedly in, they're like near the in loop. In the loop. From the loop, eastbound is the lake. <laughs> and midway is southwest of the loop. So getting on an eastbound track means, means you wind up somewhere you shouldn't be. Definitely not a midway. Um, what else? Oh, yeah. She didn't even tell... Uh, Abby didn't even be like, oh, yeah, it's the orange line. Yeah, what or, color? Yeah. So, like, Maggie's gonna get up to this train stop and be and be like, wait, there's the brown line, the orange line, the... Purple line. Purple line. Green line. Yeah, the green line goes through. That's just, all the above ground. Yeah, it's all the above ground ones that go through the loop and just, ugh. There was a... Come on, in, people. In the... Do, like, two seconds of research and put in... Just be like, oh, yeah, just take the orange line to Midway. Boom. Because it will clearly say Midway. Yeah, it will clearly say it's going towards Midway. In the <sighs> in the IMDb uh, goof section for this episode, there is a comment in there that if I didn't know any better, I would think was written by Lizzie herself. Uh, that was like, <laughs> that is the most detailed and like detailed and indignant analysis of getting public transit shit fucked up. Like it was, it was just like you've. It was basically like you fucking idiots. Like, how did you get this yeah. wrong? <laughs> and I was like, a, this might be Lizzie. A quick Google: What CTA train brings you to Midway? Boom! Or it'll pop up Orange Line, and you're sold. You got your correct line. Mm. So yeah, we we had a break from the tragedy to fume about this for a bit <laughs> at home. That's true. And uh, Susan goes in to talk with Sean, tells him he'll have a couple more months at most, that nothing is going to be curative at this point. And he's like, I'm, I don't want to die. And then she's like, then you should fight with everything you have. So the exact opposite of what mom wanted. Exactly. Right. And, and we could end the storyline here and everything, everybody goes home happy and nobody's upset. And then we see uh, Luca has finally shown up, finally decided to... Uh, add his name which uh there was a brief little shot earlier in the episode where we see carrie erasing his name from the board yep. as an attending so we see we get the close of the loop on that as we see kovach writing his name back up on the uh 
the board here. And Galant says, you still work here? Uh, <laughs> uh, Meth Kid from earlier in the episode, remember him? He's seizing yep. uh, two minutes uh, so far, according to Chuni, which is uh, not good. Uh, nope. He's having a febrile seizure from elevated body temperature from the drugs, and Luca decides to take him, like take him off the monitors, pick him up, and carry him out the door into the snow and douse him with, in saline to help the heat transfer. Okay. Honestly, with with how warm I've been the past few days, that sounds like a great time. <laughs> it looks like just like just getting laid down in a snowbank. Dump is sailing. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. My, I don't care. My only complaint as I was watching it was just like, first of all, those snowbanks are much too clean to be They're filthy. To, yeah. to be like to be on the side of the road in a downtown hospital, like those should be much dirtier than they are, and you certainly wouldn't want to lay anybody down who's uh, supposed to be in a hospital. Um, we then see Abby and Carter with Jared's parents. Uh, they they take him off the vent. Uh, do some odd little cinematography stuff here here a uh, weird kind of shaky cam uh which not a huge fan of no. um abby's phone goes off in the middle of a very emotional moment and she steps away uh as she's on the phone the flatline tone plays in the background here's uh my complaint with this is that yep. um i think we should just be seeing this through carter's eyes like i i think it really kind of deadens the um suspense when we can mm-hmm. hear everything that Abby is saying, yep. I feel like we should just be in the first trauma room with Carter and the dying boy, and especially that flatlining tone, and he should just be looking through the window and seeing Abby and kind of trying to read lips, but like not really getting the full picture because kind of. it, it leads you to th- it should lead you to think, at least in my opinion, it should lead you to think that she's getting the news that Eric is dead. Kind of pulling a love's labor lost. Yeah, like it just it, it lacks a, a degree of subtlety that I feel like it is warranted. You know, like let's tease this out just a little bit more. Don't just give it away for free. Um, but uh, we do find out that the plane was not damaged. Uh, that his plane was found and it was, uh, you know, it was tied down. It was not damaged. Uh, so they have reason to believe that Eric is still alive. Uh, the uh, plane was found outside of Sault Saint Marie. Sault Sault Saint Marie. Marie, which I was like, how? As I was watching this, I was like, how ecstatic must Lauren be that this storyline that had no connection whatsoever to Michigan whatsoever, uh, but they managed to find a way to tie it back. Like Michigan managed to find its way to worm its way into this fucking storyline here. Show me on the hand where Sue St. Marie is. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, they do. I, I forgot to mention it earlier, uh, too, that um, Maggie talks about how the search and rescue operations for Lake Superior are based out of Cleveland. And that was another goof that was pointed out in the thing of how, like, <laughs> Cleveland is, like, a solid 300 miles away from any shore of Lake Superior. Like, you couldn't possibly get further away from Lake Superior uh by having it based out of Cleveland. They were like, that makes no sense. Okay, Daniel, I am going to do it. Of course you are, because you can't help yourself. Because it's the middle of fucking nowhere. This is a two-hander. Two-hander. It's a twofer. So, here. Yeah, this is great. It's like, tremendous audio. Shut up, fuck yourself. It's (laughs) up on, like, it's on the, it's like the northern end of the UP up here. If you can't see at home, Lord. Lauren, Lauren, Lauren is wiggling her pinky, or her her pointer finger around in a way that would uh, would make an evangelical blush. Uh, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's like just 
straight up the mitten all the way to the straight movie. up the mitten. I've seen that movie. Uh, Go fuck yourself. <laughs> so uh, we we get it, uh, but do we do get a nice little dramatic moment here as uh, Abby runs off to go find Maggie and finds her on the L platform, presumably confused out of her mind because she was given piss poor instructions on how to get to Midway. So I need you to note in my tra- in my notes, I originally had finds her on the tracks, and I realized that's incredibly not that's, right. Uh, yeah, that's probably <laughs> not the best way to go about it. But uh, yeah, I, I like to think that it wasn't a. Uh, it wasn't an error on the part of the writers. It was it was a like intentional thing of like, no, she gave her bad instructions. That's why because like there's like a, a decent amount of time that goes by. Like twenty minutes. Right. There's a decent I think there's a commercial break in there. Like there's a decent amount of time that goes by between her telling Maggie, Oh, just take the eastbound track uh, and when she actually runs up and finds her on the L platform, especially being in downtown, you would have to think that at least one train would have come by that would have scooped her up. So like having her give her bad directions perfectly not if she doesn't perfectly explains why maggie is still on that platform like over 20 minutes later say she wouldn't know what train to get on because she didn't tell the fucking correct train to get on exactly this is a purple line train to evanston that's clearly where you're going try to get to midway uh anyway my my transit rage rage aside uh carrie yells at luca for taking the patient off the monitor but the guy's temp went down for the the kid's temp went down it was like He's a guy, but he's a kid still. Uh, went down, went from 107 to 104, so it had the intended effect. Um, still not great, ne- but at least not cooking his brain. Yeah, and then let's go to our next audio clip here. Abby and Maggie are pouring over some maps, because who the hell knows where Salt St. Marie is? Excuse and- you. Sue St. Marie. Sue St. Marie. Whatever. Salt St. Uh, uh. <laughs> Marie. Mari. I'm just going to just do this continually to annoy you. Anyway, let's go. Really? Is it? I don't see it. A little further north? What, Canada? No, Michigan, I think. Oh, wait, wait, here it is. Sault Ste. Marie. Michigan? Yes, you're right, Michigan. No, you were right. About what? He's okay. Yes, but you could have just as easily gotten the other phone call. And in his mind, it wouldn't have been selfish. It would have been a whole lot of other things. He doesn't want to be a burden. He's not. Well, we have to make sure he knows that he's not. He's canceled his cell phone, but he still has his email address. Don't you think we could send him a message? I think if he wants to get in touch with us, he will. Abby, I have a little money. You and I could go up there and look for him, or I could hire a private investigator. Mm. We don't get to do anything. We just have to wait. He's my son. How can I wait? It's really hard. But you just have to go about your life and do everyday things. Go to work. Do your laundry. Clean the house. You know, just try to keep your mind off all the horrible things that might be happening to him. And you do that for a week or a month or maybe a year. And then someday he'll show up and we'll drop everything and go to him. Or we get the other phone call. Welcome to the outside of the disease. This is perfect. Mm-hmm. More tyranny is perfect. The dialogue is perfect. My God, I love this scene. Because I... 
I love that she's finally making getting to make Maggie to understand. Like that was that was a disjointed <laughs> sentence, but you know what I meant. But she's finally getting Maggie to understand like what the, her reality is. It's because I, I believe she, Maggie went off on for days at a time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it, it, it is younger, right? She, yeah, she basically substitutes. You know the hypothetical situation with uh, Eric. Like she, she substitutes her own lived experience with Maggie in that. Like she's not using yeah. the names, but like she's saying, like this is what it's like. You know, this is what it's like when we're dealing with you. Like so, this is what it's going to be like for you dealing with him now. Yeah, this is what you did to us when we were growing up because of your illness. Ah, <sighs> but yeah, just you're you're exactly right. When you need to spice up. The season, just bring in Sally Field. Just break glass in case of dullness. Like, <laughs> oh boy, we've had some dullness. Uh, so then for a complete tonal shift, we go over to Chen giving Pratt a hard time about the, quote, dead patient. And he apologizes for being judgy about everything, just says he was kind of taken aback. But he says, you know, I like you and respect you. Um, whatever. So just uh, does his best sweet boy apology. And she's like, well, thanks. Do you want to see a picture of him? And she shows a very adorable picture of her son. Pratt's a little surprised to see that um, her kid's half black. He's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, And as they're having this sweet moment, uh, he has to go because he's buying dinner for the female paramedic who is now all dressed up and dolled up to the nines. And Chen... She's looking hot. And Chen finds that she's actually very jealous by the, about this. So she goes into the lounge and complains to Susan while Pratt is complaining to Carter about women not knowing what they want. And I love this line in Daniel. If you hadn't already clipped the other one, Lizzie and I were going to petition for uh, Pratt's rant about how gay dudes have it great to be the clip for the episode because <laughs> it's so good. And it's true. At least my lived experience with living with Lizzie is that the gays do, in fact, have it great. You know, civil rights and hate crimes aside, we got it pretty good. Um, But Carter's like, why are you telling me this? Also, I have no idea why I'm here. I didn't have work today. I wasn't even supposed to be here. I I love the take from from Pratt, too. He goes on this whole tirade, and then Carter goes, why are you telling me this? And he he, he pauses and goes, I have no idea, and walks (laughs) away. (laughs) It's genuinely one of the funniest scenes between those two I think we will ever get. Like, it's per- pitch perfect on both parts. Yes. And then um, everyone continues to give Luke a shit that he's back, to which he asks, why is there a sumo wrestler in one? Just. Good good throwaway line. Yeah. Um, going back to uh, Chen and Pratt's conversation in the lounge ever so briefly. Uh, yes, please. Because this is an R. Scott Gemmell episode and because it is 2003, I am so thankful and so surprised, frankly, uh, that we didn't get a single mention of, or, or a single um, single reference, or a single drop of a word that I don't want to say, but like, I, but I don't know that it has enough like cultural breakthrough that people will immediately get what I'm talking about. But I'm just really glad no one said the word Blasian. Like, I'm just really yes. glad that was a word Hundreds. that was very common around that time. You're right, and isn't. In, is doesn't rise to the same level of like uh, slurriness of some other like easily dropped words from around the early two thousands, but like isn't. But it's up there. It's up there, and like it's one of those ones that I'm glad we've sort of retired as a society. Um, 
but I would have fully expected that to be in this episode, in that conversation, via Scott R. Scott Gemmel. Like I just would have expected. Also, the the uh, paramedic uh, who I think I swear I uh, her character's name I think is Harms. Um, you know, which she doesn't. The, the paramedics don't get name dropped very often. Uh, but the actress who's playing the uh, the paramedic, of course, she's been with us for a while and will be with us for most of the rest of the show. Um, she's currently running for a, a like a leadership position within SAG-AFTRA. So, uh, you know, shout out to that lady. Uh, maybe uh, give her her give her some support. Uh, Michelle Bonilla is the actress's name. Uh, but I always see her. She's very she's been extremely uh, vocal and extremely um, prolific in her like documenting kind of the strike and uh, the frontline efforts that they're making to make the strike bearable and livable for working actors. Um, her and Ellen Crawford both uh, yes. are kind of the, they're, they're kind of the two chief uh, ER representatives that I always see like posting stuff about not just like the the photo op stuff from the strike, but like the nuts and bolts like like mm-hmm. bringing food and like bringing you know water and like just doing the the logistical stuff that that needs to be done to sustain these kinds of efforts. So good on her. All right, our last two scenes are going to be in audio form. Uh, first one, get a little bit of the gaze because we love it. Uh, Sandy gets home and has a little chat with Carrie. Takeout should be here any minute now. Okay. Hey. What you reading? Uh, Mansfield Park. <laughs> For like the 45th time. No, it's the <laughs> third time. I read, man, when you got TV. You know, I don't, uh, I don't want to wait. I, I think that we should try again. You feel like something's missing here, Carrie? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, are you sure you're ready? I was thinking that it should be... I was thinking that it should be you this time. Me? Carrie. (laughs) Honey, listen. You know what I do. I'm the roof man. I can't swing a halligan when I'm six months pregnant. You could take a leave. I mean, you're younger. You'd have a better chance. Listen. I know I'm supposed to feel like I want to carry a baby, but I don't. Once that baby's inside of you, it's... I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it's... Carrie, I don't want it. I don't want it. I know that makes you feel like I'm not a a total woman or something, but... No, it doesn't. It doesn't make me feel that. (sighs) Babe, listen to me. Listen. We're being totally honest here. I can't. I'm sorry, but I, ca- I can't. Not even for me. Come on. Don't do that. Come on. That's not fair. Well, none of this is fair, Sandy. None of it's fair. Carrie. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically in that voice. Specifically in that voice. I don't like it. What don't you like about it? That that she's being emotionally manipulative. 
I mean, yeah, she is. Like that. But... E- that extends uh, apparently into uh, the LGBTQ realm as well, because like, yep. holy shit! Like she is exhibiting oh. some serious shitty boyfriend behavior there. I am. I always say it doesn't matter if you're gay, lesbian, trans, non-binary, whatever. Straight. Everyone is capable of being an asshole. Especially mm. some gay, especially some of the gays. And we are I, some of us are real assholes. I, I guess my follow-up question to that then is like, do we think that they intend for you to th- come away from that thinking that Carrie's being shitty, or no. is it the attention that it's oh look at this cute little like obviously you know once she's I, pregnant she'll realize the thing because I, like I think there's an opportunity there to show what Lizzie was just describing that even in gay relationships there can be levels of dysfunction and levels of emotional manipulation. And that's, I think, a level of nuance that I don't know if R. Scott Gemmell's capable of. So, like, I think he, like, fell ass backwards into a point here and, like, missed it. You know, like, he had something, but he just didn't recognize Show- it. Showing that LGBT people are, in fact, people. Yeah, like, I just feel like there was an opportunity, or, or, like, you know, I don't, I don't think he made the point he was trying to make. I think he thought he was crafting a cute moment here between the gays. And it it is sort of, but it, it's also just, like, uh, beep better carrie like that's your she's voicing very clear very well thought out well articulated points of why she doesn't want to do this and carrie literally goes but not even for me me like fuck you like she said no like what what else is there to talk about i'll tell you what else there is to talk about um i think back you know early on early aughts we might not have been having necessarily conversations about bodily autonomy in the same way so i'm guessing like we said a writer like r scott gimmel he he and the team were probably more looking at this not even as a cute gay scene but more as like oh wouldn't this emotional scene for carrie be really important to show and not necessarily thinking oh she's being really shitty doing this but just you know oh she really wants this and Sandy's not accommodating. I think that's more the lens that they're looking at it through. But I am right. very glad that they have Sandy stick up for herself here and push back. For, for now. For now. I said here. I said here yeah. specifically. For, for now. So. But yeah. I think, and I think that's, a, that's another one of those times where, like, knowing how things turn out ultimately hurts us when we sometimes look at things on these micro levels because it's hard to, like, it's hard to bask in that. Th- those small moments of like clarity because we know that ultimately it's for nothing. All right. And let's go to our last audio clip here featuring was we, would we say this is one of the most iconic moments of season nine? If, if any, yes. If any, yes. If, if you, is, if you want to compare what? it to the time I farted in church in ninth grade, and that was one of my most iconic moments in religion, then sure. Like, but you know, but you know what I mean. But like, this is like the the most one of the most memorable scenes for some in people. Sure, season nine for some sure. people. I'm sure, yeah. somebody remembers it. All right, well, love it or hate it, uh, Carter goes up to the roof and sees Abby having a smoke. Hey, I put it out on my account. I only wanted half. Nobody smokes half a cigarette. I do. And I'm trying to quit. Oh, back to that, are we? I like routine. Yeah. Like disappearing on me. I know. I'm sorry. It's no problem. You had bigger concerns. Yeah, like ruining your vacation. 
Who knows, you might have saved me from a shark attack. Run away, Carter. Run as fast as you can. Where's Maggie? She went home. Minnesota? Please. Oh, you want to hide out at my place for a while? Did you hear what I said about running away? I block out about half of what you say. Only half? Negative half. I'm sorry. No. You're right. I am negative. It's hard not to be when you attract misery everywhere you go. I'm not gonna let you do this. I'm like a magnet for it. And you shouldn't have to deal with this. Now you're pissing me off. Maybe you should just cut your loss. You know, Eric is alive. You could take two seconds and rejoice in that. I did. I hugged you and then I ran away to find my crazy mother. And I never even came back to thank you. Thank you for traveling all night. Thank you for working all day just to be with me. You're welcome. You know, my life is on hold. It will always and forever be on hold. You don't want to be on hold. Well, then don't put it on hold. I have no choice. You do. Right. Your life sucks. Now and forever, there's nobody you can love. There's nothing you, you can do about it. You don't want me to love you. Can I decide that for myself? Try and decide. What do you want? What do I want? I want you to stop being so afraid. I'm I want us afraid. to stop being so careful. I'm just... I want to marry you. What? I want to marry you. What are you proposing? Yeah. I'll say the first third of this I appreciate it as someone who sometimes has to help uh Lizzie get out of her own way a little bit I love you Lizzie but like sometimes having to be like all right you got that out of your system but now like quit the pity party a little bit and mm. I, I don't want it to be quite so full as stop don't be depressed, just be happy. But sometimes when someone is leaving in kind of a self-defeatist attitude to a point, it's like, all right, yep, great. But now come back a little bit. And I just... Let's rein it back let's in. Let's rein it back in. And I do know that part of Abby's defense mechanism because of everything that's happened is to continue to... I don't want to say sulk. Sulk is the wrong word. But um, she puts up that, that front as a way to protect herself from getting her hopes up. And I get that, but at the same time, like I said, that first third here, where Carter's like, yep, don't, just just bring it back a little bit. You know, you didn't even take a moment to be happy. He doesn't even give a shit that she didn't thank him. He doesn't give a shit that he came home early. Here he's focusing solely on how she processed the situation. And I, I appreciate where he's coming from in the beginning. Then it jumps the shark. But that first, like, five lines of dialogue, I'm on board with. And then it jumps the shark. Yeah. And that only, I think, extends... It, it, it hinges, I should say. It hinges uh, entirely on your opinion of the ship as a whole. Like, yep. if, you're, if you're a fan of, of these two together, then you probably think this is the ultimate expression of a you know romantic moment and like it's this you know it's this it's this culmination of like a build-up yep. that you've been you've been waiting for um and if you're like in my camp where you're just like can we get this over with please 
um, it, it just feels like one more square peg in a round hole where it's like there like I'm just I'm not a fan of depictions like this generally speaking anyway because I feel like they uh, send a bad message to people watching um, which is like you should always make big lifelong you Ugh. know massive decisions that will affect the rest of your life you should always make those when you're in the midst of a heated argument and uh, a very stressful situation like that's always the best time to be like hey by the way also I think we should get married terrible time to have that conversation but I get it's for TV and it's for drama and so like there's there's parts of that in there that like it's for the drama Um, but I just you know is it a, is it an objectively bad moment? No, no, it's fine. Like I'm not gonna sit here and, and like bemoan it just because I'm like not a fan of the pairing as a whole. Um, and it's 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 a nice capper. It's a nice way to end an episode that is uh, objectively the strongest one we've had in almost two months. Like yeah. it's it's far and away like the best effort they've put out in an episode in a long time. <laughs> and so like I have to appreciate it on that level. Um, yeah. even if I don't love what it leads to. I was happy just to have an episode this week that was like, oh, okay, I'm interested to talk about that. There's some stuff going, there's some good stuff going on yeah. here. Totally back in. Yeah. Yep. I get, gets an eight out of 10 for me. We've creeped mm-hmm. up to a seven and a half. Yeah. I think eight is totally fair. I think it's, um, uh, I think if you were, if you were stacking it up against some of the really great episodes, I don't think it measures up quite as well. But when you stack it up against the kind of dreck we've been dealing with for the last six weeks, um, it looks like a fucking masterpiece. Um, I was going to say, dreck is a very good word for it, the, for what we've been served up yeah. these last couple of months. So like, Hopefully we've made it entertaining for you folks at home. We really appreciate yeah, and work I, I, at work, wherever you're listening to this. I think, I think we also need to, for ourselves, I think we need to recalibrate our expectations going forward because i think there are going to not to say there's nothing to be looked forward to because there is but there are going to be these stretches where there are just going to be characters we care less about and like storylines that don't hit nearly as well and i think for me at least the way i'm choosing to look at it is like i'm going to be far more interested in looking at how could we have made it how could they have made this better and how can we fix it like see at least for me with season 10 i'm more interested in that because we get neela we get Morris, yeah. Who else we get it? Whereas season this season just feels more like a transitional period. Yeah. Oh, I, th- like, I think like, season almost like the liminal space of ER is season right. nine. <laughs> I, I think definitely season ten is going to be a, a response to the things that they try in season nine, which most of which don't work. Um, like I said, towards way back towards the beginning of the season, I think they did make a calculated move that, based on the f- sort of majority failures of the post Clooney transition where they were like, okay, we're going to replace him with three new characters. And, you know, and then we're going to bring it, we're going to have this surprise hit with Abby with a fourth character. And like, we're going to try to really, you know, transition this into something different and try to keep the thread going. And out of those three, Luca is the only one that hits and the other two are gone within a season and a half. So it's like, you're left with this, this uh, hesitation, I think, on the part of the writers where they're like, ooh, do we really want to put all our eggs into the, the ensemble basket or do we just want to go with what we know already works and the audience already responds to, which is the original cast, which at this point is left to just Carter. So, like, they're basically just go like, oh, we'll just make Carter the main character. 
And they're like, no, we don't want that either. <laughs> like, we don't. Like, the response is ba- is very clear from the audience that like you can see it in the viewer numbers. You can see the number dwindling week by week. We're going to be under twenty million here very soon, which in twenty twenty three doesn't look so bad. But when you consider that just a couple of years ago we were up over thirty million a week, to see that it's going to be dipping under twenty very soon, it's got to be sounding some alarm bells for them. So uh, I think you'll definitely I think we definitely will see like season 10 is almost a direct response to all of the stuff that as we're watching right now doesn't work in season nine. Lauren, anything else before we go to the listeners? No, I'm just really, really excited to read how much they had to say today. Yay. All right. Well, what did they have to say? Uh, first off, we have Alina M who says, I loved Car- Abby and Carter in this episode. Abby is such a well-developed complex character. Her self-defense mechanism is to assume the worst, to avoid and to push everyone who cares about her away because she's been disappointed too many times. Poor Carter was so nice, caring, and supportive to her, but Abby just can't receive the nice kind of attention. It's painful to watch. I think that Carter handled the elephant in the room, the drinking, well, as he clearly gave her opportunities to talk about it herself. I absolutely loved all their dialogues, especially the scenes when her mother arrives at the hospital and the rooftop proposal scene. So I, I, while think, I, enjoy- I think all of this needs to be prefaced with the, uh, the the phrase like this episode. Like it does work this episode and it works here. And Carter does deserve credit this episode. But like there is a lot of uh, stuff around these episodes and around this whole thing. It's like I can I can I can zero in and like zoom in really tight and give him credit in this one little tiny moment in this episode. But then there's still a lot of stuff around it that doesn't work as well. Um, and I realize that that response kind of sounds deranged and out of left field. But Lauren was giving thumbs down the I entire was... time she's reading this response. So that's what I'm responding. There's to. a reason I was doing it on camera where <laughs> listeners couldn't see it was in response to our snark that five minutes ago we were complaining about all of this. Anyway, so while I, while I enjoy Mora and Noah very much together, I think that they have great chemistry. It's obvious they don't have any sexual chemistry. The absolute lack of passion, especially on Abby's part, makes it clear to me that neither of them are in love. They are just loving friends, so to speak, with an emotional connection because of their addiction and their broken childhood. Okay, here I'm giving two thumbs up in case anybody's wondering. (laughs) Fuck you, Daniel. Uh, Susan and her leukemia patient. It's potentially good, but I don't find it compelling. It just strikes me as odd that a dying teenage boy would fall in love at first sight at a 30-something doctor. Screw, screw dying. Have you met a teenage boy? Like, yeah, we, we will fall in love with anything oh, that bounces I, in front of our eyeballs for longer than ten seconds. Like, oh, I had speaking as I a had, former teenage boy myself. Hell, I was a teenage girl and I had grown up crushes on thirty somethings. Like, it happens. Yeah, everyone goes through it. It's fine. Anyway, at username eleven. Hey gang, long time, first time. This episode has three moms going through three different stages of grief. It's also an interesting counterpoint episode to Next of Kin, where now Abby has Maggie to empathize with her and her side of the disease. Nice speech by Abby on how you just go on living until you get the call. Putting these two actresses together feels like a cheat code. Although Carter could have given Abby a heads up before bringing Maggie into the hospital cold like that. Like, girl didn't already have enough on her plate. Gallant and Upton in the morgue will never not be funny, but the real MVP is Weaver. No one does ornery quite like Laura Inez in the mix of anger, annoyance, and doctor mode she goes into after her mugger gets hit by it. The car is a sight. All right. At Carrot says, hey, you know why I'm here. Let's talk gays in 915. 
Carrie wants Sandy to carry, no pun intended, their baby, but Sandy says nope. We've got Carrie pulling out the facts and the but you'll love it once it happens and the do it for me cards, which is cute because it's them and I love them. But I know, but I will now observe that entire discussion with the lens of someone from 2023. Okay, so they have the money. Can't they adopt? I mean, it's a bit different because the child won't look like you, but an adoption story could have been real cute. Anyway, this discussion just reminded me of women's rights, which is a very important topic to discuss. Content warning because I will now speak on personal rights. If I recall correctly, the feminist movement was not as it is today, but it did exist. This conversation between Sandy and Carrie actually reminded me of the many ways people have claimed that others tried to control their bodies. Women being told to have kids because they're missing out or because it makes them a woman. Some claim this is an attempt at manipulation, which I can agree with. But in the case of this conversation, I don't think it suggested a toxic relationship. The two aren't perfect, no, but they also were a really progressive pair during the time this was airing. Not saying that it meant they can go and commit atrocities elsewhere, and not saying that they did, but they did have fans to consider as far as profits go. But I digress. The main reason I think there isn't a toxic relationship here is because, one, well, I don't want there to be, and this is fiction, so it can be what I want, and two, Sandy talks back. She knows the pressure's on her, and she knows she can say no, and she does, rather forcefully, in fact. Looking forward into season 10, we also know that at some point, Sandy either gave in or changed her mind on her own. Now, some may see this as a poor message to viewers, proving that people who say women should have kids are right, seeing that Sandy actually said she'd be willing to have more kids, according to Carrie, but also consider that sometimes it does work that way. We do not know that Sandy was coerced into having this child, and we therefore cannot assume, but it is good to keep in mind. For me, based on Sandy's personality, I think she came to that decision on her own. I could do further analysis on each word spoken during their conversation, but I'm not feeling it up to it right now, maybe later when I want to further prove my weird obsession. On a happy note, Laura's delivery of Carrie's lines provided nice evidence that the character was not intending to force her partner into anything, which is funny considering that had it been anyone else, Carrie wouldn't care. Though, if it had to do with this kind of topic, then probably, but you know what I mean. And her reassuring Sandy that she doesn't think not wanting to carry a child makes her less of a woman was so sweet. Two things. One, Sandy sounding like awkward dad gives me life. Two, I do believe that Sandy commenting on the takeout guy was a distraction to get her away from the uncomfortable situation. But I also like to think that she actually gets a bit upset when her food is not on time. Okay, that's it for now. Well said. Um, And I'm not feeling well, so you're getting the abbreviated version today. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Please please support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. If you subscribe for $5, you get free stickers, a bunch of bonus audio and video stuff, and get to help us choose our movie reviews, which I know we've been slacking on. But, like, life has been getting super, super messy lately. Um, Unless anyone has anything else they want us profound they want to say i'm just gonna say thank you and have a nice day bye bye